0: Good morning lovely to see you. My name is Stephen and uh, one of the leaders here at Emmanuel and I've got the wonderful privilege of taking us to the second part of our new sermon series called Buried. I'm loving the new background. You guys liking this? Think the Gothic is my favourite one so far. And the comms team have done a brilliant uh, job. And the reason it's called "Buried" is because we're looking at the life of Joseph. And if you know anything about the life of Joseph, you know it's one where he had lofty ambitions, things where he's meant to be going. But to get there, there's definitely had to go through. Literally, as we'll find out today, literally through a pit. Felt like he was buried. His gift and his dreams—they got buried under the ground. But a bit like a seed that gets buried. It soon shot up and it became something glorious and wonderful that gave celebration to God. That's a bit of a spoiler that will come in the weeks to come. But that's what the series is about. And I love uh, the story of Joseph. It's probably one of my favorite stories. I believe one of my favorite uh, Bible characters as well. It tells us a lot about who God is, how he interacts with people, how do we deal with the difficulties and the realities of our life as well. I often compare him to Gideon. Gideon is one who kind of tentatively kind of obeyed God, laid fleeces before God. Should I follow you? Shouldn't I? Joseph just cracked on, just faithful in every situation that God gave him. So I'm a big fan uh, of Joseph. And this story has caught the imagination of many down through the years, down through uh, the centuries. So DreamWorks made a big animated film uh, kind of quite a few years back. And a few years Back from that, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice made that uh, West End musical, Joseph, an amazing tenor-color dream coat, which I starred in. And uh, not the West End version. <laughs> Some of you thought, of, really? No, not the West End version, uh, but Shelf St. Peter Middle School. Uh, I, was, uh, I was the, n- the narrator. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, so as I came to prepare today's sermon, not only did I have the one normal Bible scholars I go to to help me kind of understand the passage, but I was able to draw on the lyrics of Tim Rice and to help me into this. And I'm going to share some of them with you this morning as well. And now you're excited about that. And I wish you guys could take the first four lines of that musical. I'm going to look at it because the reality is Tim Rice, he got some things correct, he got some things wrong. And we're going to look at these first four lines, the things he got right and the things he got wrong. So it says this. Says this not going to sing it to you. And it says this.
1: Oh, I'm just
0: sure. Okay. It says this way, way back, many centuries ago. Not long after the Bible began, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, a fine example of a family man. Three lines good, one line bad. Okay, first line, way, way back many centuries ago. This did in fact happen many centuries ago. Tick. Not long after the Bible began. So if you find that in your actual physical Bible, it's just a few pages in. It's quite near the beginning. Correct. Tick. Third line, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan. Jacob, that's Joseph's father. He's one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, living in the land of Canaan where God wanted him to live. And he's there with his family. Correct, tick. A fine example of a family man. (laughs) No, 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 Tim writes, you have not read your Bible. If you mean a fine example of a family man, as in you can knock up a whole bunch of people, then tick. But that's not what I would say a fine example of a family man is. The guy basically has four wives has 12 sons, one, at least one daughter. and uh, So yes, he's definitely been fruitful in, that, in those terms. But if you go and listen to our, uh, our previous Genesis series, you'll find that this just led to all kinds of strife in his family. So this was not a good arrangement. There's infighting between the wives, quite naturally, and then obviously infighting between the children, as we will find out today as well. And Jacob adds to this, as we found out last week, by favouring one of his children. He favours Joseph, and he favours him by giving him a coat, a coat that was red and yellow and green and brown and purple. Yeah, that's another lyric from uh, the uh, show, just throwing in there. Uh, The Bible says, the coat of many colours, and uh, kind of a sign of kind of favour upon this son, Joseph, which caused deep resentment in the family. Then to add to this, God gifts Joseph as well. He gifts him with these dreams, these plans that God has for him to rule over his family. And this adds further resemblance with his brothers and a rebuke from his father. So it's a pretty messy situation. And that's the context in which we hear today's Bible passage. Let's listen to it right now.
1: Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please. Where are
0: the pasture in the flock?
1: And the man said,
0: They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan.
1: So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another,
0: Here comes the streamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams.
1: But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying,
0: Let us not take his
1: life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit
0: is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh.
1: And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is
0: gone and I, where shall I go?
1: Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said,
0: This we have found. Please
1: identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said,
0: It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces.
1: Then Jacob tore his garments and put a sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said,
0: No. I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning.
1: Thus, his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So
0: Joseph's brothers are off with their sheep, and Jacob sent Joseph to go and find a well. He goes looking for them, and as they see him coming, which no doubt they can see, his, with his shiny bright robe, they spot him coming, they conspire to kill him. And uh, Reuben, the older brother, says, well, hang on a minute, why don't we, instead of killing with our own hands, let's just chuck him in the pit, let him die there instead, because Reuben had a plan to rescue him. But while Reuben's back is turned, his brother spots some Ishmaelites, some Midianites to sell him to and sell him instead. So Reuben comes back, he's gone from the pit. So it means all the brothers return to their father. They return with Joseph's robe, torn up and dipped in goat's blood to kind of conspire with this kind of plan to say, oh, Joseph's been killed by wild animals. Which Jacob believes and then falls down grieving. He'd rather be dead than alive because his favoured son is dead. In a very short time, Joseph has gone from being in prestige and honour to being in a place of hardship and obscurity. As we look at this story today, we're going to consider two questions. What does this story tell us about God? Doesn't really get a mention, does he? And secondly, what does it mean for us? As we do this, we're going to see that Joseph's story is a foreshadowing of the life and mission of Jesus. Jesus is in this story. And our lives are to reflect what Jesus has done. So let's start there. Let's start with the fact that this story is actually about Jesus. This story of Joseph. Now, it's worth saying this Joseph we're talking about today is different from Mary and Joseph. Maybe you're new to church or new to the faith and it can be a bit confusing sometimes. This Joseph is different. This is not Joseph who is Jesus' earthly dad. No, this story happens hundreds of years before that story with a different Joseph. But Jesus is, however, in this story because the whole Bible is about Jesus. After, soon after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he actually sits down with his disciples and says, look at the scriptures. Look at the Bible before you. Actually, I'm on every page. It's all concerning me. And so it's really appropriate for us as believers. When we look at the pages of Scripture, we look and where is Jesus in this? Sometimes it can feel a bit obscure. How does this link with who Jesus is and where he's done? Some places more obvious. So I'd say in this story, it is a bit more obvious where Jesus is. Because Joseph is a type of Jesus. Or put it in other ways, Jesus is a better Joseph. And as we look at the Bible, every sight of Jesus in these stories is an opportunity for us to behold the glory of Christ. He's not just some Christian where's wallet, It's not just an interesting way of interpreting it. No, it's an opportunity to look at Jesus and the richness of who he is and what he's done for us. And my prayer has been this week as I've been preparing. And my hope is for you that as we look at this today, that you will be drawn towards him. That you will worship him more because of how we see Jesus in this story. And one of my other prayers is that you will trust him more truly. Because in this story, Joseph goes through some very difficult things. And we're going to find that God is there with him. And God, therefore, is with us too. Jesus is the hero of the Bible story. Jesus is the hero of history. Therefore, of course, we find traces of him everywhere we look and everywhere we look within the Bible. The Bible is God's glorious narrative from page to page Give us clue about clues about who Jesus is. so as we look at these verses, quite a lot of them, quite a long passage today, there's a lot in it that point towards jesus and I' encourage you you could go and look for yourself, go back to the passage and think actually what if, what ways can I see the story of Jesus in the story of Joseph? Brian and help us by looking at seven of them quickly for us now, and uh, we'll do this right throughout the series. We're going to look at the fact time and time again, as we look at the life of Joseph, actually we're also looking at the life of Jesus. But look at just these verses. Number one, right at the start of this story, Jacob and Joseph have a conversation. They say, we don't know where your brothers are. Please go and look for them, find them, make sure that they're they're okay. And Joseph says to his father, of course I will. And he obediently, willingly goes to look for his brothers. This is a bit like Jesus. Jesus, together with the Holy Spirit and his heavenly Father, put a plan together to come looking for us. All right, the beginning of creation, humanity messed up, brought a sin into the world, brought curses upon ourselves, got lost in the way you could say. We got ourselves lost. Where we should have been walking with God, we, God, we've lost our way. But God, in his love and mercy, love for the world, put a plan and place where Jesus would come looking. For us. we we'll leave his home in heaven, leave the glories and riches of heaven and come looking for us, looking for you, looking for me as well. Number two, it's not easy things come looking. So we find here in the story that Joseph, as he goes looking for his brothers, he's found wandering around. They're not in Dothan. They're not where they're meant to be. They've gone on further. We find that when Jesus came looking for us, it was not an easy thing. He was born into first century Palestine. Bought into a a time where uh, the king was trying to kill the infants. Had to go into exile into Egypt and back again. Grew up in a carpenter's house. Grew up up in obscurity, really. And when he got to his public ministry, he says he didn't have a place to lay his head. It was no great trouble. But like Joseph, he didn't give up. Joseph kept on looking for his brothers till he found them. Jesus, uh, Jesus kept going till he found us to rescue us. He persevered. Number three. As Joseph came to his brothers, his brothers rejected him. They did not want him looking for them. They did not want to receive his care. They did not want to receive the father's message. They shunned him. In the same way that mankind has shunned Jesus. It says this in John 1. Jesus was sent to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus' life is one where people did not want him. They wanted the bread that he offered them or the healing weekend that he could offer them. They didn't want him. They didn't want him. They didn't want to worship him, receive him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And that brings us to number four. Not only they rejected him, but they betrayed him. These brothers, Joseph's own kin, those ones who are the same bloodline, same father, same heritage, same name, they betrayed him. They killed him. They threw him in a pit. They wanted to kill him. They, wanted, they threw him in a pit and then eventually sold him into slavery. When we look at the life of Jesus, not only was Jesus rejected, he was betrayed. Betrayed by the ones he came to save. Herod tried to kill him. The religious leaders who were meant to love and God instead accused him, mocked him, tried to find ways to undermine him and eventually killed him upon a cross. Even those who are closest to Jesus, those who are meant to be his friends, his 12 disciples, they betrayed him. Judas Sold him out for money. Gave for kind of money from himself. Came and gave Jesus a kiss upon the cheek. What great betrayal. That's Judas. Right, Judah, Joseph's brother. Judah should have been his brother, but seems to be the ringleader for Joseph's demise. Got Judah and we got Judas. These two names coming from the same root. So easy to see the echoes of this same story working out. Number five, they mock him. They say about Joseph, let's see what becomes of these dreams. They've heard about these dreams and they've become resentful about it. They're fine. Like, right, we'll deal with those dreams. If he's in a pit or if he's in a slave or if he's dead, he can't dream anymore. Those dreams definitely can't come true. Those kind of words, let's see what comes to dreams, sounds awful lot, like, awful lot like what Jesus was mocked by at the cross. He came to save others, but he can't even save himself. What's going to become of your words, Jesus? Number six, Joseph is stripped of his robe of many colors, torn up and done away with. Jesus is stripped of his clothing. They don't rip his up, however. They gamble his away. They're both left naked and ashamed. And number seven, they threw him in a pit left for dead. He was put down to pit, Jesus was put up on a cross and into a tomb. In scripture, being lowered into a pit is usually symbolic of being thrown into death entombed like Jesus was. It looks like the end of Joseph, it looks like the end of Jesus. It's kind of the end of this second sermon because it's a bit like the Empire Strikes Back, things have gone bad. It's not a great sequel in the series things are not looking good joseph's dreams are done for you look at this point in jesus life the disciples look on and think everything we hoped for in this jesus he should have been the savior but it's dead and gone hope has disappeared thankfully we know it's not the end of the story spoiler alert joseph ends up coming from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison to the palace gets put in a position where he comes back jesus doesn't stay dead he becomes resurrected this story tracks forward but why does joseph have to go through this well because this is what was necessary to get him from pit to palace there was no way for him to become a shepherd boy go from that just into palace there had to be a route through to find his way through to the dreams that god had given him these aspirations to get there god had to take him this way Similarly, for Jesus, for Jesus to save the whole world, it was necessary for him to die upon the cross, to go through the things he had to go through. And not just to save people from a famine, but to save them from eternal damnation. To save them from their sins, to save them from death, to be reunited with their Father in heaven. Joseph needs to go through all this so he can go from being a shepherd boy to being a prince of Egypt. That is the only way through. Jesus asks the Father, is this the only way? Is the cross the only way? Is this the only path to salvation for the people you're calling me to save? The reality is, yes, it was. That was the route through to salvation. As ugly and as pitiful as it looks, it was needed and necessary. The pit and purpose. Jesus, as we will see here through the story of Joseph, is the good shepherd. He comes looking for sheep. He comes looking for his brothers. He does not give up till he finds them. They don't deserve his attentiveness and concern, becomes obediently and willingly. Jesus does not give up until he finds you. He has suffered for you. He has been hurled into the pit for you. You could be confident, therefore, of his steadfast love. One day, Joseph's brothers will see that their brother who they threw into a pit and sold into slavery is exalted as the prince of Egypt. One day, we will see Jesus exalted to the right hand of the Father. They will be stunned by Joseph's love and forgiveness. One they so harmed. We are already stunned by God's overwhelming goodness and grace and love in our lives. What well, we get should be shunned, we are welcomed and loved. This is why Jesus is the greatest Joseph. This is when we look at this story, we think, yes, it's an interesting story. Where do I fit in it? No, where does Jesus fit? What does this show us about you, Jesus? But let's look at the story in another angle as well. Let's look at it not just for uh, Joseph as a uh, type of Jesus. Let's look at how God deals with Joseph as well. I'm going to do it on the four headings. Firstly, that God gives a calling and gifts to Joseph and gives them to us too. Every Christian, in fact, has a calling for in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom and his story and things that he's doing up on the earth, he looks for you and says, I want you involved. I've got good plans, good purposes for you to be involved. It's one of the amazing privileges of being part of the people of God. I love what Henry was saying earlier. To say saying, I realize it wasn't just about personal relationship with me and God. It's about being with brothers and sisters. And, you know, it's even more expansive. that It's about being part of what God is doing upon the earth. He doesn't need you, but he wants to involve you. He has things for you to do. And here with Joseph, it's a massive thing he gives Joseph to do. He wants to take him from being this, this little family and put him on massively on the world stage. Maybe that's the destiny that God's got for you. Maybe God wants to put you on the world stage and so we're full of uh, kind of, that's the kind of rhetoric, people want to be famous, they want to be an influencer. But maybe God will make you a great influencer. The reality is God gives each of us different shapes and sizes of the things that he calls each one of us to do. And we're to be faithful with the thing that's before us. And sometimes we can kind of uh, throw away our joy by comparing the lot that God has given to us with what always given to other people now God's asking you to do what you're meant to do with the thing he's given you your particular context your particular talents and capacities and abilities actually God what is it you've made me what's the size and shape you've made me let me be faithful with the calling you've put upon my life but be confident that God is on your life and he wants you to work it out maybe you've not worked out what God's asking you to do yet don't be anxious about that That's a wonderful lifetime adventure with God. Like, God, what have you got for me? What's your will? And what's your will for my life? Often the second one trips us up. You just start with the first one. God, what's your will? What are you doing? What are you asking me to do? Each and every day, God will guide your steps. Second, God is committed to your good. God's got plans for you to do, but he wants to shape you in the right way to do those plans. And those plans are for your good, but not necessarily for for your comfort and that's the whole kind of story of Joseph Joseph gets gets given these dreams but for 13 years those dreams just get buried why because God's doing something under the ground God's doing something in that hidden life same with us God is absolutely committed to our good making us like his son Jesus and preparing us for things he's got for us but often involves us being buried under the ground God was taking the immaturity of Joseph and putting it into training, preparation for his calling. Joseph has calling and gifting, but God wants to work on his life, work on his life much more than working through it to start with. He wants to ultimately work through him, but he starts working in him. Maybe you are young and you're waiting for what has God got for me. All right, now God might just have preparation for you. That's not always that exciting. It means just learning the lessons in the quiet, in the obscurity, often doing things you don't really want to do, obeying parents, doing subjects you don't really like at school. That's a part of it. That's just learning to worship God, be diligent with the things that God's put before you. Maybe you're older in life and thinking, this seems like a long time of preparation, God. What is, I, what is it I'm meant to really be doing? Be confident that God is preparing you. God has good works and has been working through you, no doubt. But maybe there's things to come. God is not finished with you yet. The story of this, the, 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 the kind of lesson from this story is that the story isn't over. There's more to come. The dreams and ambitions that God has given you, he loves to do radical surgery, but he will bring them to pass. Next thing is that God uses pits for purpose. It's really important as believers that we have a really good theology of pits. Really good theology of pain and suffering. Wow, you think, oh, I can love and praise God. God, you are greater. You're so wonderful. When things are going well, but when things aren't, you're like, God, God, are you still great? Is your love for me still great? We've got to get our heads right knowing that pain and pits are not a sign of a lack of God's love, but a sign of his love. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that good fathers discipline train shape their children god as a good father he's better than any earthly father he wants to train and discipline and shape you into the people he wants you to be that's a sign of his love and and god often uses pain and pits to do that in fact that's his usual way god sets events in motion to prepare and train us to be like his son and for the things he has for us to do they can be sudden and surprising like they are here with joseph 24 hours, it seems like, goes from being in his father's house with a robe and just chilling out not having to go look after the sheep, suddenly being a pit in slavery. Sometimes it can happen that, to happen like that. Sometimes you're thrust into a season of preparation. Sometimes it's long and it's drawn out and barely perceptible. But the reality is the greater the plans and gifts needed, the greater the training and preparation. How has Joseph Lee go from being a shepherd boy to being a regal administrator for a whole region? Well, he needs all kinds of preparation, deep preparation. He needs to be buried very deeply for God to be able to trust him to do the thing he has for him. I've read lots and lots of biographies of wonderful Christian men and women over my lifetime and uh, great heroes of the faith. And they all had the same thing in common. Those who do great things go through great trial. That's the anvil that God uses to shape people into the people that he wants them to be. If you want to do great things for God, and you pray, God, use me, do, use, me uh, use me, for great things for your kingdom. That should be all of our prayers. Lord, may be zealous for your name, that I'm going to do things that give you glory. You've got to know that that involves going through trials and difficulties because he'll take your life and he'll shape you. He'll knock bits off you and he'll do it in painful ways. But although it's painful, it is purposeful. Pain is his usual way. Jesus told us in John's gospel that no servant is greater than his master. The pattern of our life will resemble his the closer we get to him. The more you know Jesus, actually more pain. The pattern of our life will resemble his the closer we get to him. If we truly emulate our master, we should expect our life to become Jesus-shaped. As I said, Jesus' life was shaped by difficulty. Experiences of lonely obedience, isolation of betrayal, rejection and death. It should not surprise when these things come to us as well we are following in the footsteps of the greater Joseph. This works backwards in time as well as we see it in the life of Joseph. We see it in the life of David and Esther and Job and others right through the Bible. Men and women who did great things for God also had to go through great trial. It's not all trial. Let me be clear. It's not just that. There's great joy in it as well. And that's the wonderful thing as believers. We can have joy and peace in the midst of it. we must be careful to look at the pits and difficulties as a sign of a lack of God's love or a lack of his attention or lack of him working in life often it's a sign that he is we'll get to this in many weeks time when uh, Joseph eventually says this to his brothers as for you you meant it evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today Joseph was able to look back upon the pits and say, that was tough, that was difficult, but I know that God was using it. My prayer is that as we look back on the things in our lives, say, God, you use them for my good. Romans eight twenty eight says a similar thing. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I've known difficulty in my life, and at times I've just moaned and groaned and complained and rallied against God, turned from God, in fact. As I grow in God, come closer to him more and more, I can see the painful things in my life and the precious things in my life. They bring me closer to God. This moment in the pit for Joseph was an opportunity for him. He he couldn't make his dreams happen. He's no longer got his robe on his back. He's far from home. Where does he turn? He can only turn to God. Ultimately, that's a precious place to be. Say, God, I into your hands, I trust myself. What are the pits? What are the difficulties you're facing right now? Let me encourage you, don't moan and groan. It's okay to be real about it. You can lament, you can bring your difficulties to God. But humbly say, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to train me in? Why are you burying this seed right now? What is it you're going to cause to flourish? Help me to continue to dream in the pit. I hope Joseph still dreamed when he was down there. God, you're not done with me yet. You put desires on my heart not to frustrate me, not to kick me to the curb. You're going to vindicate me. You'll bring it. I I can't do anything about it. I don't need to do anything about it. I trust you to do it for me. Lastly, God is in the pit with us. When Joseph was in the pit, he'd easily have given up on his dreams and what God had said to him. It looked like God's purposes were being thwarted, but here and the bottom of the pit God was still working. Whether Joseph felt it, whether Joseph could see it, whether he believed it, the truth is God was still working. In his bottom of this pit, dry and dusty and lonely. From all human perspectives, his dreams were shattered. He could have hastily concluded that his dreams were just a delusion. But God was with him. God is there. Where are you right now? maybe this morning you're thinking steven my life does not feel like a dry and dusty pit i'm pretty happy right now but god bless you we are pleased that we do not wish pits upon you But let me encourage you get your head right on these things because you will face trials and troubles in your life as i know in a room this size there are many who are feeling like they're in a pit maybe like joseph you feel like you've been thrown in one maybe even by those who you trusted Maybe those who you should expect to have your back have betrayed you. Maybe the circumstances of life have just conspired against you. Maybe your uh, financial situation, your work situation, maybe your health is falling apart. These are all pits in our life and they're not good things. Joseph was able to say, what you meant for evil, God has brought for good. These things that are evil and difficult and hard. God can use and is using for your good. There's nothing left to do but pray sometimes. How many times are, I, oh we would well, we better pray then? It's the last thing we do. So oh, yeah, that's not word. That's not word. I've asked that person for help them this, this and this. It's like now I'll pray. God said, like, now come to me in prayer. You find yourself in a pit, this is the place to come to God. It helps us to adopt the humility that's needed for God to do heroic works in us and through us as well. When we work on our situations, we got what we can do. When we ask God to work on our situations, we get what God can do. Jesus is in it with you. Let me encourage you. Jesus is in the pit. He empathizes like no other. He's a great high priest who knows what it is to walk the earth. Let me, I want to read you a little story from my favorite TV show. The West Wing is my favorite TV show by a long stretch. And it's a show from the early 2000s about the staff of the White House. And in it, uh, the president's right-hand man, a guy called Leo, is speaking to his deputy, a guy called Josh. And Josh is a bit of a pit. He's in a bit of a difficulty. And then he just gives him a little kind of proverbial story just to give him a bit of a, a pickup. And this is what he says. To him. This is the story he says. This guy's walking down a street when he falls in a hole in a pit. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father. I'm down this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Jesus doesn't send us a letter. Jesus jumps in the hole with us. He jumps in the pit. The Bible's really clear. There's nothing you face that Jesus doesn't fully understand. He's been there. Joseph couldn't have withstood his brothers being thrown into the pit. I just, I, he was just a victim of that circumstance. Jesus was not a victim of the circumstance of the cross. He chose to go there. He chose to go to that pit for you. He had legions of angels at his uh, kind of call, his beck and call. If he wanted to, he could have smited everyone. He said, no, I'm not going to the cross. I'm Jesus, Lord of all. But he didn't. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to go to the pit, to get in your pit for your sin, your death, your difficulty, your curse. He chose that for you. So whatever you're facing right now, be confident that Jesus is with you. You know that because you can point to the cross. Jesus, you enter the cross for me. How much more do I know you're also in this situation with me as well? And he has power to help. He has peace to give you, joy to give you, love that is higher, wider, deeper and longer than you'll ever be able to comprehend. Let me encourage you, believer. Come to him this morning again. Come with your pits, come with your difficulty, come with your broken dreams. Where it looks like he's not working, where it feels like he's not working. Let me assure you, he is. He loves you. He is for you. He always has been. He always will be. Turn to him. If you don't know, yet know him, we're going to love to introduce you to him. There's no one like our Jesus. He's the greater Joseph. And I'm so thrilled with this series. I'm keep looking over these coming weeks. But let me pray for us. Henry Father. thank you for your great love. It's so great. It's so wonderful, Lord God. We'll never plumb the depths of it. We'll never truly understand why you ever come for ones such as us, Lord God. We know we are so unlovable at times, Lord God. Uh, but God, yeah, you've chosen to love us in the most spectacular way, Lord God. Coming to get in the pit for us, Lord God. And we just say we are so grateful we're so thankful and lord help us to see this more and more lord god as we look at it and look at you lord god that our hearts would be moved to worship lord god we're drawn to love you more and more lord god and i pray we would trust you more truly for our difficulties the things that we're facing right now i pray for just different ones that are in right now i pray where there's hopelessness would you bring hope again where dreams ambitions and desires have been crushed I pray would you resurrect them, Lord God? I where things feel buried right now, Lord God. I pray would you come to sprout through regret again? You come and do all that you only you can do, Lord God, we pray. And I want to pray we'd have many testimonies, even this term, Lord God, of you just doing wonderful things in your people and through your people, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.